Matthew chapter 26, if you would turn there this morning. Uh, we're going to, over the next few weeks, obviously focus in on, on uh, you know, East, Easter type of messages, based messages. Um, today we're going to focus on the suffering of Christ. And then on uh, next week we're going to talk about the cross. In the following week we're going to talk about the resurrection and uh, how it all applies to our lives in different manners. But we're going to start Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 45. If you have your Bibles, that's great. If not, you can follow along with us on the screen. Or if you have your iPhone or whatever, you can follow along on version as well. So uh, Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. It took Peter... And the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. We catch a glimpse into a night, a very intimate glimpse into a night. Was serious enough that our Savior wept and fell to His face and cried out to His Father. Sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. A time that was so serious that after it was over, Luke refers to the fact that an angel came and had to attend Jesus. It was a night of agony. It was a night of sorrow. It was a night of trouble. And we can't fathom, folks, the suffering of Jesus and what was laying ahead for Him. The suffering, we can't understand the love that would drive Jesus to the cross to endure suffering for us. And not only this physical suffering, but the very simple fact that this pure spotless Lamb, Jesus Christ, perfect deity, Son of God, actually took on the wages of our sin. And we all know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we know that Jesus Christ was made sin for us according to Scripture. He became sin for us. The agony and the pain that was lying ahead of Him, the understanding of not just the physical pain, but also the pain for those that were going to betray Him, the pain for those that had rejected Him, the pain for those that were going to hang Him and nail Him onto a cross. I can't fathom a love of a God that would look in, a God that knows all, sees all, a God that understands the beginning from the end, a God that's in the future now and in the present now and in the past, that He dwells in all the places at the same time. A God that can see a culture, a world that progressively rejects Him and gets worse and worse and continues on in sin and refuses Him, that He would love us enough to send His Son to a cross for us when He already knew who I was going to be. 
When He already knew what I was going to do. He already knew that my time and my season of rejection, but He also knew the salvation that He could bring to me. We can't understand the great suffering, the cup that the Father had for Him. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. The tireless exertions and passionate concern of dedicated individuals. Now we understand that. We understand when we see a natural movement here uh, today in the flesh that's before us, something that's wrong. We understand going and delivering uh, a holocaust against the Jews in World War II. We understand that. We understand the suffering in those situations to where, you know, I understand a man suffering for that. We understand uh, these, the rights that Dr. Martin Luther King stood up for, that we understood suffering for that, for equality. We understand that. We get that. But King was right. That just like it is for the suffering of man, just like it is for the advancements of us naturally requiring suffering and, and pain and turmoil, so is the requirement for our salvation. The blood that was shed in Jesus Christ. We see that according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's always been a question, Pastor Bob, why did Jesus have to suffer? Why did He have to go to the cross? If He's the Son of God, if He's deity, couldn't He have found some other way? I'm not going to argue all that with you. That's a lot of deep stuff that we could talk about and discuss. But the fact of the matter is, is that people look at the cross and from the outside looking in, it doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. But to those who believe upon the work that was done on that cross and the blood that was shed on it, it is the power of God. It really is. So this morning... I want to talk to you about this suffering that Jesus was preparing Himself for. But what blows my mind is, is that people hated Jesus. Now, not all people, not everybody. It blows my mind that anybody could hate Jesus. That anybody could look in at Him. But the Old Testament talked about it in Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. When we start looking at prophecies and we start looking at Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, we begin to look at a pattern and seeing that there's a pattern of suffering. Now how they missed that, how the Jews and the, the, the priests and the Pharisees and the scribes missed that in their day, I don't know and I don't understand, but I do know that it's all throughout the book. It's all throughout the Psalms. Even in the Psalms, multiple times when you read it, you'll think that David says that they hated me without reason, but Jesus confirms it, I'll read it in a second, that that's a messianic reference to himself. That they hated me without reason. In John 15, I'll read it to you, verses 22 through 25, Jesus said this, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus took upon Himself that statement, saying, this is fulfilled in me, that they hate me without reason. And He said, they hated me without reason. In other words, there was no reason for Him to hate Him. Jesus did not manipulate their hatred. 
He didn't manipulate their hatred in any fashion, in any way, shape, or form. This is really important for us, and I want us to grasp this real quick, and then we'll move on. Don't be one of those people that goes and stirs others up to get them angry at you so you can pat yourself on the back and say, see, I'm a good Christian, everybody hates me. Because that's a lie. You see Jesus all through the Scriptures. One day He just walks out and sits by the Sea of Galilee and massive crowds walked up to Him. Jesus would walk into towns and cities and they would bring out their sick. They would bring out the lame. They would come rushing to Him and meet Him. They would say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus was not hated by everyone. He was hated by the world. You say, but Pastor Bob, that's everyone. No. He was hated by the world system. The world system, we've talked about it before. You see it in the book of Genesis. The Tower of Babel was established from the, 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 the descendants of Nimrod. Isn't that kind of funny? The Nimrod started the whole world system. But anyway, it was started by Nimrod. <laughs> Nimrod started the whole thing. And his descendants defied God. They didn't, after the flood, they said, we'll build a tower that's above the flood line. They put gods at the top of it. They worship. And, and we all know the story of the Tower of Babel, how God separated the people, confused the languages and all that kind of stuff. When we look at that. That's where the world system started. And the tower was called the Tower of Babel, which obviously all throughout biblical history, we see it become Babylon, Babylon the Great, until the book of Revelation, when it says, the angel goes through heaven and says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, and her and her adulteries and her witchcrafts and her sorcery with her and we see all of that stuff, what that's representing is it's not just a city of Babylon that's just a worse city than everybody else. It's talking about the world system. The world system that's in defiance of God, that's self-sufficient, that creates its own gods, that pursues its own lusts, that does its own deeds and its own desires, the one that builds its sin up to heaven in mockery of God, according to the book of Revelation. That is the world system we're talking about. That world, that thing, you will never fit into, child of, child of God, ever. You won't be comfortable in it. It won't work, you won't fit. Now, there will be people that are in the world. You are a light to them. You are a city on a hill. Some will come to you and some will hate you. Jesus, likewise, He came for no reason. And He says this in John 15. He said, if I hadn't come and spoken to them. He came and He spoke truth to them. And because He spoke truth to them, verse 23, He who hates my Father, He hates me as well. He hates me, He hates my Father as well. Folks, you can't separate them. You can't separate God. You're, you're either going to love Him or you're going to hate Him. And a lot of people want to take Jesus out of everything. And they want to say, oh, you can't say, you can pray, but you can't pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus. Why, you can, use it and you can use His name in vain all you want to. Every time you hit your hand with a hammer, you can use His name, but I can't pray in it. Come on. There's this mentality that says we've got to take Jesus out of everything, and you can say God and pray to your gods, but you can't pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because there's power in the name, and nobody wants you to say it. But if you're that person, my friend, what you've done is, if you hate Jesus, you hate the Father. If you hate one, you hate both. And I'm even going to step out on a limb, but it's a safe limb, it's not going to break. You hate the Holy Spirit, you hate the Father. You cannot separate them from one another. And he spoke truth and he said, they hated me because I told them the truth. You ever have somebody hate you because you told them the truth? 
Some of it's because you told them the wrong way. Well, that was the truth. Even in love, even in mercy, you know, you can tell somebody the truth and they can still hate you for it because they don't want to know the truth because sometimes we know the old saying that truth hurts, it really does. Especially when you want to remain in deception. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then verse 24, he said, If I had done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they've hated both me and my father. Jesus said, I've, I've, I've done nothing to cause them to hate me. I've walked in and I've spoken truth to them. I was good to them. Secondly, I did the miraculous. And they hated me for it. And the miraculous things he did, it wasn't like the plagues in Egypt. He didn't walk into the city and say, Look, I've turned your water to blood. He didn't call the wrath of God down. He didn't point at people and say, ground, open up and swallow that person. He didn't do that. What did he do? He came in compassion. He healed the sick. He opened blinded eyes. He raised the dead, folks. Why do they hate me? It doesn't make sense in our minds. Somebody walk into town today and be the most gentle, humble, calm, compassionate person that walks into town and you have a loved one that's laying there and your heart broke and, and he walks over and touches their head and tells them to get up and says, you know what, don't say anything to anybody about this. I'm not trying to just... You would hate that person? It's mind-blowing to me. Jesus said they hated me without reason. I didn't bring it on myself. And this same Jesus walked through the streets and people pleaded with Him and he, he healed their afflictions. He would meet their needs. He would touch crippled people and they would walk. He set captives free from bondage. He raised the dead. Even some non-believers agreed to this day that no one ever loved humankind more than Jesus did. He grieved over the multitudes. He wept over Jerusalem. He did all of these things. Jesus was the most meek, humble man that ever walked the face of the earth. And there should never be anybody that should hate Him. If anything, He should be the most revered, most respected, most honorable person that ever walked. And yet people hate Him. And yet, folks, today we're called... We're called haters. And the fact that we're having a meet and skeet today and we're getting ready to go shoot guns, somebody from the outside, if they hear it on the internet, hey, we're a church that's full of assault weapons right now. In cars. They'd flip out. See, that right there, that's, what, that's the problem. That's those extreme Christians. Yeah, those poor clay pigeons, they didn't have a chance. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They look at us as though we're the most violent, angry, evil people on the face of the earth. But if you're a true Christian, the love of Christ should flow through you. Should flow through you. This thing here, this, this Jesus, this compassion should be revered. In John 21, 25, Jesus, it says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. The guy did more good than could be recorded. He walked our earth and did more good and more miracles and more blessing than what could be recorded. And yet they hated Him. So what did He do to cause people to hate Him? Well, let's look at it. John 8, verse 12. It's on the screen. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And you say, Pastor Bob, that is not an offensive statement. 
Well, let's look at the whole context. If you're in your Bibles, you can see right now where that passage falls. A woman who had been caught in the act of adultery was drugged before Jesus by the leaders in the day. And they said, this woman needs to die. And they begin to tell Jesus about his law that he established and how she should die. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. He had written down on the ground and some suggest that maybe he had written out the sins of all the names of the sins of those people that were present. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. The fact of the matter is, is that these men realized and recognized and were convicted in their hearts that they were just as sinful as this woman and they dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus looks at her and he says, where are those that condemn you? They're gone. And he said, neither do I condemn you. But then he said this, go and sin no more. And then he said, turns to the crowd. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Say, pastor, how in the world can that be offensive? He looked at that woman and he told her to go and sin no more. He just didn't have compassion and say, remain the way you are. He said, why don't you go and change your life? Why don't you follow me and come out of the darkness? You want to know what was so offensive about Jesus? He expected life change. He expected repentance. He expected holiness. They hated him. Herein lies the reason for the world's hatred towards our Savior. John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So far, we're going, yeah, that's that compassionate, loving Jesus that was sent to us by the Father. This is the one that just said, walk in light, come out of the darkness, follow me, you'll remain in light. Okay, that makes sense. But this is the verdict. This is the decision. Here's the decision that was made. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. A father, motivated by love, sends his only son to be a sacrifice. He came without condemnation, full of the love of the father to show the way. And men hated him because of this? Because He came to save us? Because He came to pull us out of the darkness of our sin and into relationship with the Father that is going to save us for all eternity, to give us the promises of heaven and glory, to be with Him throughout all... That's why we hate Him? Our problem is is we're like the lady that I, I saw on Dr. Phil one day. You say, Pastor Bob, you watch Dr. Phil? Yeah, you, you need to raise yourself up and I'm going to help you. That's my, see, receding hairline. Anyway, Dr. Phil impersonation. I don't know why I don't watch Dr. Phil, but I turn it on one day and there's this woman on there and she's, she's, she's sitting there facing her children, adult children, and the children are all messed up and just upset. This woman had found a man online that uh, was her man. I mean, you know, 
a pseudo-relationship, you know? This guy was in Europe and uh, was a contractor and was working over there, and he's American and needs to get back to the U.S. and was wanting to get back to the U.S. The problem was is that a couple of the permits ran out on the jobs that he was on over there, and he didn't realize it, and uh, he got thrown in, it was going to be thrown into jail if he didn't come up with, you know, uh, $50,000 by whatever date, and if this lady could help him, then he won't end up in jail, and then afterwards, you know, after he gets that paid off, then he's going to fly back to the U.S., and they'll actually be able to meet face-to-face. Right now, everybody's going... She did that. Folks, she didn't just do it that time. She did it several hundreds of thousands of dollars later until she was completely broke. And the guy never showed up. And, 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 and here's this woman sitting here, Dr. Phil, with her kids. And her kids, had she had cut off ties with her children. She was sick and tired of them telling her what was happening and challenging the question this guy and her love for him and his love for her. And they began to lay out the facts. You've spent this much money. We've traced the phone number. The phone number isn't coming from Europe. It's coming from Nigeria or somewhere like that. And then she's like, I can't believe that. He's this, he's this. And then they would continue to go through the processes of what was said and what was done, showing her lie after lie, lie after lie, lie after lie. And she would sit there and she would say, I just can't believe it. I refuse to believe it. And I told April, I said, wow. She is knowingly choosing deception. Because deception felt better to her. It was what she wanted. It's what she hoped for. She didn't even care that it wasn't true. Just let me believe the lie. No matter how much it costs, doesn't matter what it's taken from me, I just want to believe that this is okay. And they worked with her for 45, 50 minutes on the show until she finally got it. I'm broke. And this man's a liar. Our problem, folks, is, is that we've heard it a thousand times. We hear, hear a preacher get up and preach a message like this and talk about suffering, talk about obedience, talk about following Christ, and yet we don't want to believe it. We want to remain in deception and say that everything I say, everything I do, it doesn't matter. I want to go live my life, have fun, have my freedom. It's not going to hurt me. How many times have you ever heard somebody that's, that's been a smoker and said, I smoked for, I had a good friend that smoked for most of his life. And he said, I've been smoking for, for 45 years. Ain't nothing wrong with me yet. Keep it up. Keep sowing into that field. Amen. I'm not saying you smoke is going to send you to hell, make you smell like, like you've been there, but it ain't going to send you there. What I'm talking about is, is the, the deception of our culture. We look at Jesus and we say, I like my sin and I want to hold on to it and I want to pursue it. And he says, here's the truth, Bob, come out of it. That's going to kill you. And I say, nope, I want to hold on to it. And then I hate him for telling me the truth about myself. And we lash out at Him. And we begin to reject Him. This message of repentance, the message of go and sin no more, the message of compassion and forgiveness is viewed as a restrictive thing and so they hated Christ for it. Jesus came and followed John the Baptist who led the way and He said, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we see that Jesus carried on that message and He began to teach the same thing. Repentance. It's not popular. That's why pastors throw it out the window in pulpits today because they, when people are expected to make a decision, when Jesus messes your life up and you have to make a decision, somebody gets mad. 
And when people get mad, they leave the church. And when people leave the church, they take their tithe with them. And when people take their tithe with them, the pastor gets worried because then he can't do the building program that he's building himself up with. (laughs) Which is not what's happening here, by the way, with the building program. I'm just being facetious. But Romans 13, 12 says, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Quit doing it and put on the armor of light. So this is the reason that the world hates Jesus. And i got to encourage you this, encourage you with this, that Jesus told us that now we as his followers, that we are the what? The light of the world. We are the city on a hill. We are the one now that they look at. We are the light bearers. We are the ones that should come in the same attitude and peace and mercy and grace and yet carry truth and people are going to hate us for it. Some people are going to love us. Some people are going to hate us. Let's read about it. John 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. In short, folks, if you are following Christ, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to have to face some kind of persecution. You can't let your life be led by your comfort. We cannot walk around in our comfort and honor God. There's going to come a point where we're going to have to take a stand for what we believe. If we don't ever stand on what we believe, then that means we're moving all over the place. Jesus Christ has told us, if you're my follower, you can expect the fact that some are going to listen to you and obey, and some aren't. You're going to call, they're going to call you names, they're going to treat you like they treated me. But I'm going to tell you what, I would much rather be treated like Jesus than to be accepted by the world. You can be accepted by the world. It says right there, if you were the world's, they would accept you, they would know you, they would love you. It is possible right now. You could leave right now from the church, and you could be absolutely accepted by the world. You could. Few basic decisions, do the things they do, say the things they say, watch the things they watch, do all that stuff, hang around people that do those same things and enjoy them. Before long, you'll find yourself in a crowd and you'll, you'll have a posse, you'll have a team with you and you'll feel really good about yourself for a while. It is possible. But we, as children of light, as children of God, are not called to be in this room and then walk out and act like the world. We're called to obey the Father and to live out the Father's decrees in our lives. Think of how strange it is that people will hate us because we love Jesus. We're a lot like Jesus in some sense. That The fact that true Christians exhibit love to the world, those who walk wholeheartedly with Jesus are meek, friendly, forgiving, kind, and even self-sacrificing. They respond to human need all around them. Christian groups are often the first responders in times of disasters. We bless the world both with our helping hands and with our prayers of comfort, and still we are hated. We call ourselves by the name of Christ or sons of peace, yet we are hated by the very world to which we offer help. Again, the hatred is connected to the fact that our mission of light bearers, us carrying that truth of Jesus Christ, means that they're not going to like the standards. Let me just throw this out to you. If you're not being hated for your standards for being a believer, maybe your standards are off. 
Think about it, though, folks. This is a tough job. I'm just going to read you a list of things. Here's what we're called to do in this world. You wonder why people don't like truth. They don't like light. They don't like what we're bringing to them. Let's think about it. We're asking worldly people to give up those things that are absolutely dear to them. We call them to a life that looks to their eyes like some form of slavery. We're asking people to forsake and turn away from the very sins they love. We are calling people to repent for having rejected the love and mercy of God who demonstrated His love by giving up His Son on the cross. These people have struggled for years to silence the very conscience we appeal to. They don't want to hear some message about guilt. They've spent their lives trying to put to death any thought of a day of reckoning or coming having to die or having to see Jesus face to face. Us Christians, we're messed up. We're singing, when I die, hallelujah, bye and bye, I'll fly away. People look at us and say, dude, you was whacked, man. What are you doing singing about death? Oh, fly away, oh, glory. It's like we can't wait to die. And they're like, what is up with you? And they're all like, what's up with you, man? Were you afraid to die? You were afraid to die? Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? That's why they don't like us. It's like, dude, you're messed up. It doesn't make sense. They don't want to think about such things. Why? Because it brings them to a decision. And they don't like to be forced into a place where they have to make a decision. And I'm going to tell you, our culture is worse and worse and worse trying to get anybody to commit to anything. Hey, would you like to be here? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, would you like to be here? Well, I don't know. I've got to weigh all my options. Wait till the last minute. Listen, not everything is good to wait till the last minute. I've seen it. I've prayed with them on their deathbeds before, but I'm telling you, that's not the best time to do it. <laughs> anyway. Some people look at their comfort and they say, here's the answer. We don't want people to hate us. We need to be a loving, friendly church. And so because of that, what we're going to do is we're not going to preach the cross quite like that. We're going to kind of soften things down a little bit and make it really appealing so that nobody ever gets offended or nobody ever gets upset or sad. And what we do is we create a crossless conversion. A conversion that's false, that requires no sacrifice on your part. That says, continue to live your life the way it is. Come to church, pay your tithe, be friendly, be nice, wear a nice suit, look nice, be kind to everybody, and God will get you into heaven because He loves you because you're a nice person. That is an absolute false doctrine. Amen. We need to repent of our sins. And when you start, you start doing that voice, that, that voice of, of, of lying to people, yeah, you'll be popular in the community, but you're not doing anything of any eternal value whatsoever. We must not place a shade over the truth of the light of Christ for the sake of our own comfort. And the suffering that Christ suffered is part of what we are grafted into. We cannot run from conflict or try to live as the light of Christ and be full of compromise. Folks, we're going to have to do what Jesus did and lay in our garden of Gethsemane and come to a decision. Am I going to leave this place and find a different way and try to make it comfortable? Or am I going to say, Father, let your will be done? Jesus wept and cried out to the Father, if there's any other way, if this cup can be taken from me, this cup of suffering, this cup of pain, if there's another way without it, this cup of, of becoming a curse for them, if there's another way, Lord, I'll do it. But if not, let your will be done. Folks, if we can't, Suffer for God in the sense that we're afraid to speak to somebody or to live holy or do anything else. If we can't do that, if we can't get up from that time of decision and say, Father, I'm going to do my will. If we do that, we've denied Christ and we hate the Father. But if we obey Him 
and we pursue Him, and we walk with Him, we bring honor and glory and light into the lives of others. You say, Pastor, this is pretty tough. Folks, we have to live pure. Matthew 6, 22-23, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How can we turn light to darkness? We turn light to darkness when we take a little bit of truth and we intermingle it with the philosophies of this world. You say, how is that possible, Pastor Bob? We, we take the goodness of this world and we say, that's good enough, and we'll take that and use that for peace. What is it? Well, let's just say lying, for example. Well, you know, it's okay to lie as long as you're doing it to avoid from hurting somebody's feelings. It's okay. It's okay. Sometimes it's the best option. You see, our, the philosophies of our world take the truth and twist it. They turn the light of, of, of helping people and not wanting to hurt people and, and make it okay to disobey God's laws. Abortion is seen as a merciful thing in our culture today because we take the mercy of the mother and we kill the innocent. You see, the philosophies of our world that we take Jesus' truths of mercy and grace and different things of that nature and we twist it to fit our own agendas and our own philosophies and when we do that, we take the light that is within us and we make it very dark. So what motivated Jesus to endure suffering and what should be our motive as I have a little ways, I guess. Devin, if Devin wants to come up, he can. Jesus said this, his motivation for everything he did, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This, this commandment didn't annul the others. It didn't say, hey, wipe out everything else I told you. It simply says, I have not told you this yet. Apply this to your life that love is the greatest thing that you can do in the midst of all this. Love one another. Folks, if you want to impact this dark world, if you want to walk as Jesus walked and be hated by those who love this world, who reject the light, then you're going to have to walk in love. Very simple. It's not rocket science. But he said, if you will do this, they will know exactly where you stand. They'll know exactly who you are. They may call you a fanatic. They may accuse you of bigotry. They may kick you out of their synagogues. But they will see me in you. And they will know that you are mine. They will look into your life. And they will say, I know they have been with Jesus. If you love one another. It was His love that drove Jesus to the cross. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that He lay down His life for His friends. Jesus didn't just speak empty words. He actually followed through with it. Did something. And our culture looks in like a rebellious child that stands in front of his mom, a rebellious teenage boy that's running and, and doing everything under the sun for his own glory and his own will, and he's pursuing every other avenue, and this mother looks at him with tears in her eyes running down her cheeks and says, I love you, and he hates the mother for that because he wants to continue in his sin. That's how we look at the cross of Jesus Christ. He not only said it, he acted it out. He did it. And the action of love is expected on our part. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said, in a way that's sacrificial, a way that's laying down my agenda, a way that's setting aside my self-importance, a way that lays in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, Father, it's not my will, it's your will be done. I'll do it your way. That's love. That's love. 
In Hebrews 11.35, it's speaking about all, the, all those the saints that went before and their faithfulness and how these were the founders and fathers of faith and how they were honorable. And in verse 35, it says this, that others were tortured and refused to be released. When the church was underground at that time and they said they would bring him in and they would torture him and say, where's the cell at? Where's your pastor at? Where's your leaders at? Where are your friends at? We want to know. And they were being tortured and they would say, go ahead, we'll release you to go back. Show us the way. And they would say, absolutely not. I stay. That's love. You can beat me. You can wound me. You can hurt me. But I will not turn you loose on my brothers and sisters. And in verse 37 of the same chapter, it says, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. Folks, we live in a free nation today, and we may not face that kind of stuff, but with every day, every moment that we set aside our agendas, we lay down the wants of, everybody, of, of ourselves for the sake of others, and we share the light of Christ, and, and we don't compromise it, and we don't darken it, we don't make it small, we take the truth to them and be a light in a dark world, then what we have done is, is we've done the exact same thing. We've laid our lives down for the King. Why is this new commandment from Jesus so important today? of love. Why is it so important? Because we have people that are lost and miserable in their freedom. I sat in Florida two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, whatever, and I sit there on the beach, and this year, usually our beach is really kind of quiet. There's not a whole lot of people there, but this year, for whatever reason, there was a ton of teenagers. There was just a lot going on. And we had a couple of good days where it was really nice and we set out there. And this is what I saw all around us, especially this group over here to our left. We sit down one day and this group of probably 20, 25 people, all from the same family. They had the music cranked up and uh, it was rap music. So we did move eventually. Um, but anyway, because rap music is kind of, it's like an oxymoron, rap music, rap music. But anyway, just kidding. I like it all. So I'm sitting there listening to all this stuff. And I look over and there's this whole family. I mean, all they could talk about was bringing more alcohol and mixed drinks and, and oh, I got the music cranked up and they're slamming them and just, oh, this is fun. I'm like, you can't come to the beach and enjoy the water and the sand. That's not enough. You got to get plastered. What's wrong with you people? Every day. And then one day, two days in a row over here to my right, underneath the pier was a uh, a fairly large-bellied man that always liked to have his shirt off to show off his tattoos. And his girlfriend, wife, whatever, and some kids and another couple is over there. And the man stood there and drank beer and smoked joint after joint after joint after joint after joint of marijuana all day long. All day long. And right now everybody's saying, what beach did you go to, Pastor Bob? I'm telling you, it was different this year. We got a bad week. It's normally way more quiet and peaceful than that. But here's the problem. Why is this love thing so important? I'll tell you why. Because we are surrounded by people that are so miserable that will tell you they're happy, but all they do is medicate themselves all day long to cope with their feelings, to cope with their pain, to cope with their struggles. Folks, they're pushing to, to legalize marijuana. It's legalized couple different places, but, but why is that such a big deal? It's because people are hurting, man. They're hurting. 
And they don't need a church, they don't need people that claim Christ that has shaded the true message just so they can be friendly. What they need is people that are willing to be rejected enough, to love them enough to go to them and say, you may hate me, you may despise me for talking to you about this, but you need Jesus Christ. And I love you and I want to help you. They don't need people that just get along. They don't need people that says, it's okay, just keep smoking your marijuana. Hey, we'll just be Rastafarian, it's okay. You can smoke the marijuana and we'll worship Jesus and it's all okay. Listen, man, God doesn't want us to be drunk with wine. He wants us to be full of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be delivered from the bondages of this world. And these are the dear people that Jesus suffered for. He had compassion on them. To the believers in the room, I'm closing, I'm done. To the believers in the room, do you know somebody like I just described? Somebody that's miserable, they're medicating themselves, they're, 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 they'll, they'll reject God, they'll call you all kinds of names or even say things about you because they want to remain in their freedom. This is true freedom, Pastor. Well, I can do what I want, I can do anything I want, anytime I want. I'm not restricted like you, you're a Christian. You need to pray for them. You need to get a burden for them. You need to not compromise truth. And you need to share with them the truth. And you need to live out that truth in front of them. doesn't mean you can't be friendly to them. Be friendly, but live the truth out. Don't conform to them when they're around. To the lost person in the room, I'll say this to you. Pastor Bob, I, you, you look at me and you say, Pastor Bob, I'm living in absolute freedom. I can do what I want. I can say what I want. I can smoke what I want. I can drink what I want. I can, I can do whatever. I, I'm, I am medicating myself through drugs and alcohol, through illicit sex, and through excessive entertainment. doesn't matter to me. I'm happy. You may feel free, but you're swimming in a toxic environment that will kill you. I'll give an example. Kyle Eidelman wrote a book that says, uh, it's called God's at War, and he uses this analogy when he's talking about idolatry. People think that God's restrictive, and there's too many boundaries and too many expectations. And he said, my son had a, had a little goldfish that he had in his fish tank, and, and we were going to go swimming. And he said, Dad, I want to take, take the goldfish out to swim with us. He said, son, we can't take the goldfish out to swim with us. If we take the goldfish out, we put him in the pool, the goldfish is going to die. He said, but dad, I, want to, I just want to take him with me. He's so cool. I'll just have the goldfish swim in there with me. So the dad compromised. And he put the goldfish in a, in a big cup or a jar or something and set it there by the pool so little junior was swimming and, and the goldfish could watch him swimming next to the pool. Well, we all know what happens next. Whether by the sake of junior or super goldfish jumping out, whatever, the goldfish ends up in the pool. And it was loving it. Goldfish was all over the place. Swim, 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 swim. Swim to the other side. Swim back and forth. And the kid's like, Dad, goldfish in the pool. And Dad's like, no. So they jump in and they're trying to get the goldfish. And obviously the goldfish is swimming away every time they even get close to it. And they can't catch it. And they try everything until finally the goldfish, not realizing that the chlorine bleach is burning out its gills, swims and starts to swim slower and slower until eventually he decides to get a suntan on his belly. Kills a goldfish. What's my point? My point, my friend, is that if you're living in rejection of Jesus Christ, you may be having fun for now, 
Scripture makes it clear that sin is only fun for a season. And you're in a room full of people that have all been there at one point in their life. I have been there. I've walked those shoes. I have. And I'm telling you that if you continue, it will kill you. It will destroy you. You'll look back when your life has fallen apart and say, I wish I would have done this differently. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the opportunity where all it takes is for us to respond to Christ, to ask that prayer of forgiveness, and then to repent. Meaning, I turn and I go and I stop following the desires of my lusts or the culture of this world and I begin to obey Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. Just means these are my new intentions and they fall in line with God's divine intention for you which is that you would be conformed to the image of his son to be made like Jesus. Oh, and when you're made like Jesus, some people will like you, some people will hate you. But you're going to have to get up from your garden of Gethsemane and you're going to have to say, Lord, your will be done and not mine. Stand with me this morning.